Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. The American Re- Museum of the American Revolution really emphasizes that the, the American Revolution has had this uh, global impact about the relationship between the people and, and their government. That's Museum of the American Revolution curator Matthew Skick talking about their new exhibit on an Irish soldier in the American Revolution. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode was brought to you by Casemate, publishers of The Quaker and the Gamecock, Nathaniel Green, Thomas Sumter, and The Revolutionary War for the South by Andrew Waters. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Matthew Skick, curator at the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. And tonight, he's going to talk about the founding origins of the revolution, but more importantly, its latest exhibit, and it's a wonderful exhibit, uh, on on an Irish soldier who fought in the American Revolution. It seems to be sort of a question mark at first. Why would the Museum of the American Revolution focus on this relatively unknown, certainly unheralded figure, in the war. But as Matthew discusses tonight, uh, you will see the very intense and very thoughtful deliberations that went into the creation of this exhibit. Uh, it's wonderfully fascinating. You also hear tonight, or gain some insight rather, into how a museum in the year 2020 thinks about building an exhibit. As Matthew talks about, this is not your grandfather's American Revolution Museum. They have guests from all over the world coming every day. They're going to have their millionth visitor in June of 2020. That's a big responsibility. And in so many ways, the Richard St. George exhibit hits on all of those uh, correct notes that you'd be looking for. If you're in Philadelphia... If you're traveling in the area, if you're thinking about visiting, the exhibit on Richard St. George is going to be ending on March 17th. So we still have a few days left. Uh, But as Matthew talks about the permanent exhibits at the Museum of the American Revolution uh, are, are breathtaking and memorable in their own right. And most importantly, I think we can say safely, they're for everyone. So, the episode's a little bit different today. We're not talking to a Journal of the American Revolution contributor, but we are talking about a person who is uh, doing everything in their power, using their specialty to keep the revolution alive for generations to come. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Matthew Skick. Matthew Skick, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's an honor to be here, Brady. Tell us about your background. 
Well, I really have a lifelong interest in the American Revolution. Uh, the first books I learned to read as a kid were about George Washington and the Continental Army. And as a teenager, I worked as a historical interpreter at Washington's Crossing State Park in New Jersey. And growing up uh, about 10 minutes away from where Washington crossed the Delaware, I was just surrounded and, and immersed in the history of the American Revolution and the Revolutionary War. And so I really caught the, the bug and, the and caught the interest of the, uh, in the time period quite early on. And when I went to study for my undergraduate work, I studied at American University in Washington, D.C. and uh, majored in history and wrote my senior thesis about uh, Joseph Plum Martin and his connections to uh, James Monroe and in that he references James Monroe and his effort to get pension legislation passed for veterans of the Revolutionary War in the early 19th century. And then I had the honor to be awarded a fellowship to study at the Wintertour Museum as part of the Wintertour Program in American Material Culture that's in partnership with the University of Delaware. That's where I really got immersed in a hands-on uh, education in studying antiques and decorative arts in general, American material culture. And I wrote my master's thesis on Philadelphia's gunsmiths during the Revolutionary War and their role in creating uh, military firearms, specifically muskets, uh, during the war years, and then how their work during the war influenced their later careers and change the tra trajectory of their careers in the new newly independent nation. And uh, soon after that, I was hired by the Museum of the American Revolution in, in June of 2016 to join the staff and help open the museum to the public, which was had planned to be open in April of 2017. So I, I joined uh, just a few months before the museum opened and helped put the finishing touches on the core exhibition at the museum. And I also worked extensively on the touchscreen interactives that are on display in the in the core exhibition. And since then, I've been working on curating our uh, series of special exhibitions at the museum. We work closely with our education department to develop um, uh, educational programming and, and train our uh, educators at the museum. And then also I've done quite a, an extensive bit of, of research and writing for other projects at the, at the museum. So it's been a, uh, a great project to be a part of, of helping to build uh, a museum from the ground up. Tell us about the history of the Museum of the American Revolution. It's fairly new and very innovative. Right, sure. The, the Museum of the American Revolution is located in the heart of Old City, Philadelphia, two blocks away from Independence Hall at the corner of 3rd and Chestnut Streets. And it's, it has a history as an institution that goes back really to the beginning of the 20th century. And our, uh, we like to joke sometimes that our, we're a 100-year-old startup museum because uh, of our origins that, that go back that, that far. And the origins of the museum start with a, an Episcopalian reverend from Norristown, Pennsylvania, named uh, Reverend W. Herbert Burke. And uh, Burke 
as a as a young young man was really interested in in history something he an interest he acquired from his his father and uh was really interested in in antiques and and artifacts and he was really inspired by the survival of of Washington's army at Valley Forge and and Washington's leadership and had a dream of creating a museum dedicated to to Washington and and the Continental Army and in 1909, he was able to acquire for his, his planned, planned museum, George Washington's tent, uh, at Washington's headquarters tent that he used during the Revolutionary War. And he was able to acquire it from descendants of Martha Washington, who had inherited it. And the tent has its own um, really interesting history that, we, uh, that is uh, the subject of one of the, the main exhibits at the museum. But Burke's acquisition of the tent in 1909 encouraged him to continue to acquire more for this museum. And so he was able to acquire uh, muskets and, and other firearms from the Revolutionary War, um, canteens and soldiers' accoutrements. Uh, he even received a donation of George Washington's headquarters flag that, according to, to the Washington family, he had used to mark, mark his headquarters during the Revolutionary War. It's a 13 star flag on a, on a blue field. And Burke's uh, dream of creating a museum was uh, continued on by a historical society that he created called the Valley Forge Historical Society. And in the 1990s, there was a renewed effort to try and build a more, a larger scale museum dedicated to the story of the revolution and that grew into what was called the National Center for the American Revolution. And there was a museum that was going to be built out at Valley Forge. Uh, but then through a series of, of land negotiations, that uh, nonprofit organization, the National Center for the American Revolution, was able to acquire a parcel of land from the National Park Service uh, in Old City, Philadelphia, uh, at the corner of 3rd and Chestnut. And that uh, the project then transitioned into what becomes the Museum of the American Revolution, a national scale museum dedicated to the to the story of the revolution. Uh, and we opened to the public on April 19th, 2017, after a $150 million uh, capital campaign to raise the, the, mon the funds to open the museum. And today the museum is a... Uh, institution that uh, is getting ready to uh, celebrate its third year of operations and uh, welcome and later this year in, in 2020 we'll welcome our millionth visitor uh, we'll probably welcome that millionth visitor in about uh, June of 2020 and uh, the museum opened on the 242nd anniversary of the shot heard around the world so April 19th 2020 will be our third year of, of operations. So it's been a, uh, a great project to be a part of and a, and a project that has had a long history uh, of, of creating a, a, a national scale museum dedicated to the revolution. Whenever visitors come to the Museum of the American Revolution, uh, what are some of the permanent features that they can see no matter when they arrive? The main exhibit at the Museum of the American Revolution, what we call our core exhibit, is a chronological uh, telling of, uh, of the story of the American Revolution. It follows roughly a 30-year 
chronology, beginning in the 1760s and extending into the 1790s and into a bit into the early 19th century. Uh, so it begins with the story of the uh, revolution that we, we tell at the museum begins with the uh, tail end of the French and Indian War, the, the Seven Years War, and Britain claiming this vast new empire, global empire, one of the, the, the largest empires since ancient Rome, and then moves into the rising colonial conflict with Great Britain, and then the beginning of the Revolutionary War, the, the adoption of the Declaration of Independence, and then the years-long conflict that uh, spans the um, not only up and down the eastern seaboard of North America, but then expands into a, a global conflict involving France and Spain. And then after the conclusion of the, the war itself, uh, the exhibit goes on to discuss the uh, post-war era of establishing a new government under the constitution, debating about who the promise of liberty extends to in this new American nation. This chronology that we go through, this 30-year this chronology is broken up by a series of questions that we pose to the visitor at the very beginning of the experience. The questions are, how did people become revolutionaries? How did the revolution survive its darkest hour? How revolutionary was the war? And then what kind of nation did the revolution create? And these questions are posed to visitors at the very beginning, but, and you kind of get the answers as you go through this 30 year journey. So you, as a visitor, you're guided along, you'll, you'll see these questions asked again of you uh, uh, throughout the experience. But these are sort of rhetorical questions to get the visitor thinking about uh, the events that they'll, they'll learn about, about the people they'll meet along the way, about the experiences that they'll have uh, throughout this, this exhibit. And the exhibit is a really nice combination of artifact displays. About 500 artifacts are on display, a number of them on loan from uh, partner institutions and, and private collectors. You'll also see uh, touchscreen interactives that uh, tell uh, key uh, stories, uh, such as the importance of print culture and the uh, early resistance movement in the 1760s, the resistance movement to um, British uh, parliamentary policy in, in America, uh, or an interactive that brings out the stories of the men and women of African descent who uh, are enslaved and free in Virginia in 1781 as the British and American armies are battling through that state. And the decisions, the really difficult decisions that they made about whether to escape from, try and escape from slavery and seek their freedom with the British army or join up with the Continental Army as a, as a path, path to freedom. And not only are, do these touchscreen interactives um, stand alone, but some of them are even connected to uh, life-size figure tableau scenes that recreate moments from uh, the American Revolution. Some of these tableau scenes are single figures 
that introduce the visitor to perhaps the common soldier of the British Army, such as a tableau that recreates uh, the uh, private soldier William Burke of the 45th Regiment of Foot on the eve of the battles uh, uh, around New York City in 1776. And uh, there's another tableau scene that recreates the fight that broke out between the soldiers of the young Continental Army at Harvard Yard in the winter of 1775-1776, a, a fight that Washington, General Washington, the, the new commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, uh, famously uh, broke up, uh, got in the middle of, and, and caused the soldiers to, to scatter. But this is a moment that epitomizes Americans coming together Americans from different walks of life, different belief systems, different ideas about freedom and slavery, different religions coming together to uh, um, work together to uh, fight for a cause, uh, for the cause of American rights and, and liberties. Uh, and so it's a really interesting way of, of bringing the American Revolution to life. And those those tableau scenes are kind of an old style museum technique. Think about those uh, natural history museum displays of of woolly mammoths and um, mammals from around the world, but now you're seeing the people of the American Revolution recreated, uh, brought kind of brought to life in a way, and and visitors get to see this moment kind of frozen in, in time. And so our exhibits are all about interactivity. Um, Ha- having the opportunity to to feel and experience the revolution, uh, they're very hands-on in, in many, many cases. So, for example, in one of the galleries, we have a uh, a large um, sloop, a, a full-size recreation of a of a privateer ship uh, that you can actually go on board. And this privateer ship was made for us by a, a fellow Philadelphia institution. The independent seaport museum and their boat shop. And so when visitors board the, the sloop at the Museum of the American Revolution, they learn about the about life at sea aboard a, an American privateer in which revolutionary sailors are uh, give uh, are granted the uh, letter of mark to uh, combat enemy uh, vessels on, on the high seas when America's Navy, the, the revolutionary Navy is quite small and so private vessels are, are employed by the uh, Continental Congress to uh, bolster uh, the, the Continental Navy. And so visitors get a chance to run out the guns and feel what a cannonball's weight is and try on sailors' clothing uh, and, and learn about what it might have been like uh, on the high seas in the 1770s, especially as the Revolutionary War is expanding globally. And uh, these these uh, moments in the in the core exhibit are are our main exhibit, but they're not the only thing to see at the at the Museum of the American Revolution. Perhaps our our most famous artifact, as it's the one I mentioned earlier, is that George Washington's war tent, his the his headquarters tent from the Revolutionary War, that uh, the Museum of the American Revolution inherited when it inherited the collection of the Valley Forge Historical Society. Uh, Washington's tent is on display today in its own dedicated theater with a 12-minute theatrical presentation uh, that tells the story of Washington's leadership of the Continental Army and how the tent 
was a symbol of his his leadership, showing that he was uh, encamped with his men uh, in the field during the eight-year-long Revolutionary War. And Washington's tent, uh, its its own story of survival as an artifact through America's uh, tumultuous history, especially during the, the Civil War when the, the tent is confiscated from the uh, descendants of Martha Washington um, at Arlington House, which is Robert E. Lee's home, because Robert E. Lee had married one of Martha Washington's great granddaughters. Uh, the tent survives Civil War, and then it's sold to Reverend Burke in, in 1909. And the tent serves as a as a symbol of the fragility of the American experiment. And we present the tent in this theater with this 12 minute uh, uh, theatrical uh, piece. And then at the end, the tent is dramatically revealed to the visitors. The, the, the real thing is there before you, this symbol of, of the survival of the American nation. And so that's really one of our, our, our great experiences at the Museum of the American Revolution. And I always recommend that uh, visitors uh, see the tent as the last thing they, they do b- before they leave the Museum of the American Revolution for the day, because it's such a powerful, moving experience that has brought uh, thousands and thousands of people to, to tears and, and made them rethink about what it means to be um, inheritors of the uh, American Revolution. And another uh, uh, exhibit that we have at the museum is called Revolution Place, and it's in the lower level of the museum. And this is a, a hands-on interactive uh, gallery specifically geared towards families uh, that recreates different um, uh, scenes from uh, Philadelphia during the years of the Revolutionary War. The, uh, uh, the moments that are recreated are a, a, a tavern uh, scene in Philadelphia, a uh, church and then a, a parlor, as well as a Continental Army encampment. And in each of these um, uh, backdrops and in each of these uh, environments, uh, visitors, young and old, are encouraged to try on clothing, uh, learn about laundering in the Continental Army, learn about how Philadelphia was con- connected to a global trade network uh, and how goods from all over the world came to a, a cosmopolitan city like Philadelphia during the 1760s and, and 70s. And learn about what life was like at home you know, for uh, people who lived in, in, uh, in Philadelphia in, in this revolutionary era. About decision-making when um, loyalties are being questioned in the city, especially during periods like the, the British occupation of Philadelphia in 1777 and 1778. And also learn about the, the diverse religious communities in Philadelphia. Uh, Pennsylvania founded as a colony of, of religious freedom. So there were a number of different religions, be they, uh, be they Christian uh, faiths like Catholicism and Presbyterianism, um, whether they, uh, there were people of the um, Islamic faith who were enslaved in Philadelphia and thinking about the presence of Judaism in the city. So visitors uh, are, are encouraged to, to think about um, the diversity of the city as they, as they enter the uh, church meeting house and, and, and learn about what life was like in the city.
And so this has been a really popular uh, part of the uh, experience at the Museum of the American Revolution. And, and at the museum, we, in general, we really emphasize that the Revolutionary War is just one part of the American Revolution. So we're not, we're not a war museum specifically. We're a museum of the American Revolution about how the American Revolution is a um, change of social, socially, politically, economically uh, in, in America that um, really emphasizes uh, how the, the people are at the heart of, of government and the people are the heart of, of the nation. Uh, and the American Re- Museum of the American Revolution really emphasizes that the, the American Revolution has had this uh, global impact about the relationship between the people and, and their government. How do you make the American Revolution meaningful to a broad spectrum of people uh, in the year 2020, because it's really, it's not your grandfather's history museum. Right. That, that's a great question. The, what we emphasize at the museum of the American revolution is that uh, we're telling the stories of, of a variety of real people uh, and people uh, who experienced a time of great change and didn't always know what the outcome was going to be. The outcome was not a, a, a foregone conclusion. The, people didn't know that the independence of, independence of the United States of America was, was going to be successful. And uh, so there was a lot of decision-making involved uh, amongst these people about choosing, choosing sides, about uh, what it means, what does liberty mean for um, African men and women of African descent who are enslaved in America as, as American revolutionaries are talking about all men are created equal. Uh, what is that? What are those words? All men are created equal mean for women and, and married women whose property under coverture is, is, uh, not, uh, who are not really allowed to own property under, if they're married, uh, their husbands, uh, are, are own their property. Um, and so these, uh, diverse uh, stories that we tell throughout the experience, be they in Revolution Place or in the core exhibit or in Washington's, uh, in the theater with Washington's war tent, we're trying to emphasize that the American Revolution is not just um, men in wigs in the halls of Congress. This is common people experiencing war and devastation in some cases. This is uh, regular people in uh, Philadelphia or Charleston or Boston trying to decide what's best for their family uh, in, uh, in the midst of, of conflict and, in, and in, uh, when protests are surrounding you. And then also when um, the British Army and, and Hessian soldiers are coming to America, what does this revolution mean to them? Uh, so you get to meet common soldiers like like William Burke, who I mentioned, a British soldier who fought for the first time in America, or uh, Johannes Reuber, a Hessian grenadier who was captured at Trenton. R- common common men who who served in the British Army who were not much different than the men young men serving in in the Continental Army. So we try to show that this 
American Revolution is, uh, and the story of the, the American Revolution is about real people making real decisions and real choices and difficult decisions and difficult choices. And those are some things that um, we modern Americans and people around the world face today about um, who are we going to support in upcoming governmental elections? What sides are we going to, to choose? What are we going to advocate for in regards to social and political change? Um, and one of our taglines at the museum is stories you've never heard, people you won't forget. And we try to show that these, uh, these stories are about a human experience, uh, a, the human experience of, of life and uh, the pursuit of, of happiness. And um, we do that through uh, making, our, making sure that our galleries are, are interactive. We use some of the latest technology, but we don't overextend uh, in, in the use of technology in, a, in our uh, museum experience. We want people to um, have a, a tactile, interactive experience at, at the museum. And we also need to um, be conscious of that our visitor uh, population is not just made up of Americans or even English-speaking Americans. So we have um, gallery guides in, in multiple languages. We have uh, a tourist population in Philadelphia that's coming from from China, from Europe, from South America, from Africa, from all over the world to learn about the, the birth of the American nation. So we, we are really conscious of, of our really broad audience, and we try to, to make the Museum of the American Revolution as accessible as possible uh, to people that have, um, might have a language barrier or um, uh, a disability. We try to make our experience uh, for, for everyone. And um, in um, our modern, modern age, we want to make sure that people have fun when they come to the Museum of the American Revolution as well. We want to make sure that learning history and learning about stories of the past is not just like reading a textbook, but it's, about, but it's more of a, an experience that you, you get to um, remember and, and take away as you, as you visit historic Philadelphia. Your latest exhibit focuses on an Irish soldier named Richard St. George. Uh, who was he and what can visitors expect to see when they see the exhibit about his life? So the uh, exhibit that we have on right now, our, our special exhibit is Cost of Revolution, the Life and Death of an Irish Soldier. And it tells the story of a an Irish officer in the British army named Richard St. George. And the Richard St. Richard St. George's, his story is a really compelling one that actually serves as a window into the international impact of the American revolution. And uh, Richard St. George, when he was serving in the British army in America, he was fighting against the American revolution and as a light infantry officer in the British Army, he uh, served at uh, during the Philadelphia campaign when the British Army tried to capture the revolutionary capital. 
And at the Battle of Germantown, Richard St. George was shot in the head in the initial moments of the battle, but he survived. And he was brought into Philadelphia for an emergency surgery uh, called trephination, and a silver plate was, was put in his head. And he would live on from that and returned home to Ireland and struggled with the traumatic effects of that um, head wound for the rest of his life. Um, he engaged with uh, budding artists of the early Romantic era when he was struggling with trying to understand what was going on with, with himself uh, physically and, and psychologically uh, after his, his wounding. And then um, he... Richard St. George uh, stands against a growing revolutionary movement in his native country of Ireland that's inspired by the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Uh, and this revolution in Ireland uh, is uh, being led by a group known as the United Irishmen, which is seeking to unite Catholic and Protestant Ireland in the effort to create an independent Irish Republic. And this is the first uh, first attempt of Ireland's independence of, of and creating a, an independent republic. Uh, and the United Irishmen launch a revolt in May of 1798, but just a couple months before, Richard St. George stands in opposi opposition to the United Irishmen, and the tenants who lived on his land rose up against him and uh, killed him as one of the first casualties of what becomes known as the Irish Revolution or the Irish Rebellion of 1798. So his story and his story arc of, of great drama uh, and, and um, uh, ups and downs and twists and turns connects the American Revolution to this Irish Revolution of, of 1798 and, and shows that the, shows the immediacy of the American Revolution beyond the shores of, of North America and how the idea is expressed in the Declaration of Independence and the ideas expressed by Tom and Thomas Paine and, and Common Sense had such a profound effect on, on um, Europeans such as the Irish and, and French. And Richard St. George's story is a story of somebody who opposed these two revolutions, but his story serves as a window into looking at these two revolutions. And the whole reason we became interested in this story of Richard St. George, because he is certainly not a, a well-known individual. He's not a household name. He's, he's no George Washington. Uh, Richard St. George is actually uh, connected to two paintings that the Museum of the American Revolution has in its collections, two paintings that it inherited from the Old Valley Forge Historical Society. And these two paintings depict uh, two key battles of the Philadelphia campaign in 1777. And one depicts the Battle of Paoli, and the other depicts the Battle of Germantown. And these two paintings were, were done by an Italian artist named Xavier Delegata, who was working in Naples. And they painted these two works in 1782, so just five years after those battles took place. And they depict the nighttime bayonet assault by the British light infantry at Paoli and Washington's assault at Germantown with such uh, detail and accuracy. But for the longest time, it was unclear as to why these paintings exist because Xavier Delegata never set foot in America and 
these two battles were relatively minor from a European perspective, especially an Italian perspective. Delegata had no known connections to the British Army. And so when the Valley Forge Historical Society acquired these in 1957, they were rather mysterious. And so they left a lot of questions to historians of the American Revolution. And many of your listeners might know these paintings already, and, and some of them may have seen them um, uh, through the, their publication in, in a variety variety of books on the uh, American Revolution. I remember the first time I saw them in in a publication was when I received as a, as a boy a copy of the American Heritage Book of the Revolution, which was printed in, uh, ni- published in 1958. And I had received a used copy of that from my, my dad when I was about 10 or so years old. And there are two color plates of those uh, paintings by Delegata in, in that book. And they really intrigued me, but the book didn't really explain as to why, why the paintings exist. Uh, and so the, they were the subject of a, of a detective story. And the in the 1980s, one historian named Stephen Gilbert uh, of, of Rio, Wisconsin, was really interested in, in these paintings when he saw them on display at the Valley Forge Historical Society. And he set about on a, a bit of a quest to try and figure out what these paintings could mean and what he could deduce from just by close looking uh, at these paintings. And Stephen Gilbert wrote an article, actually two articles for the uh, Journal of the Company of Military Historians called Military Collector and Historian. And he laid out uh, how he was able to identify some key figures in the foreground of both of those paintings. And uh, one of those figures just happened to be a um, British light infantry officer being carried off the battlefield. You could see that depicted in the foreground of the Germantown painting. And Stephen Gilbert was able to identify this as Richard St. George because a fellow officer had wrote that Richard St. George, after his head wound in the opening moments of the battle, was carried off the battlefield by a corporal of the 52nd Regiment's Light Infantry Company, the same regiment that St. George served as a lieutenant in, uh, this corporal's name was George Peacock, and he had rescued St. George from the battlefield that day and is one of the reasons that St. George survived uh, the day of October 4th, 1777. And so that uh, detail uh, got Gilbert thinking about uh, who, who could have created these, these works alongside uh, Delegata did one uh, did an officer like St. George, who's depicted in the scene, commission these works. Um, and for the longest time, Gilbert's theory about uh, about this wasn't proven. But then in 2007, uh, at at auction at Sotheby's in New York City, four sketches, uh, watercolor sketches, came up for for auction, and these four sketches were uh, depicting moments from the Philadelphia campaign, including uh, one of the cartoons had a title uh, and a a scene that showed a British officer being carted off a battlefield in in a wagon. And the title of the scene was My Triumphant Entry into Philadelphia. And that officer had a bloodied head. And on the back side of the sketch is a full written description of the Battle of Germantown. So 
putting two, two and two together, an office, a British officer with a bloodied head, uh, a um, description of the Battle of Germantown on the backside, and Richard St. George was known to be an artist uh, uh, during the Revolutionary War and did sketches and a bit of a humorist as well, according to one of the officers. So all these notes together were pointing to these are Richard St. George's sketches from the, from the Revolutionary War. So this, this, the idea that this officer has a head wound, he's at Germantown, he's also doing sketches. Uh, it was suggesting that uh, these were St. George's cartoons, and it was, it was believed to be that these were indeed his. And then comparing the sketches to the um, Delegata paintings, there were some really remarkable uh, details that were present in both the uh, uh, sketches and, and the paintings from uniform details to uh, figure poses that were, were extremely similar. So there was this uh, more uh, credence and, and, and proof to this theory that Gilbert had, Stephen Gilbert had put out in the 1980s and 90s about how St. George is probably connected to these paintings in some way. And then, what I was able to figure out was that St. George actually traveled to uh, Naples, Italy in the 1780s and uh, worked with artists uh, down in the city and uh, commissioned some works. And he may have even commissioned these two works from Xavier Delegata. So St. George was in the right place at the right time and is likely the reason why these, uh, these paintings exist. And, so we're pretty certain now that he is the person who commissioned these these works, perhaps as memory pieces of two important moments of uh, his uh, career as a soldier in America. And so that information about uh, St. George's connect connections to these uh, to to paintings in the museum's collection really inspired us to dig deeper into St. George's story. And St. George's story. Uh, had already been told by uh, some uh, art historians in England and Ireland based on uh, portraits of him that were known to survive, including one portrait of St. George mourning at his wife's tomb that was painted by Hugh Douglas Hamilton, an Irish portrait artist in about 1796. It's a really moving painting of a, um, a husband grieving over the loss of his wife. And um, St. George's wife had only passed away four years uh, after they were married. She passed away in 1792. And there was also another painting, a portrait of St. George that was known to exist that had actually been recent, recently re-identified by an art historian named Martin Myrone from the Tate Britain. And this painting was in the collection of the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne, Australia. And it shows a a young British officer of the 4th Regiment of Foot, an ensign to be specific, uh, standing on this rocky coast uh, with a sh ship in the distance, suggesting uh, that this uh, soldier is shipping off to, to, the, to the war front. And what was known about St. George is that he first served in the 4th uh, Regiment of Foot in 1776, and uh, he was about the age of the officer depicted in the portrait. And Martin Myrone was able to figure out that this portrait does indeed depict St. George. It had long been just known as an unidentified officer in the 4th Regiment of Foot. And so with these two portraits of St. George, there was... Um, the question in our minds at the Museum of the American Revolution as to what else we could find out about this uh, 
Irish officer in the British Army who had this really interesting story of being wounded during the American Revolution and then killed during the Irish Revolution. And so St. George was going to be part of a, an exhibit that we, a special exhibit that we had planned about the British Army, about humanizing the Redcoats and understanding who the, the men were behind um, the, the, the British Army. And St. George is going to be one of about a dozen soldiers that we featured. But then we figured, you know, there's so much material related to this St. George fellow with the portraits and his sketches and the Delegata paintings that what if we did a whole exhibit about him and use the concept of microhistory and biography to tell a really compelling story about the international impact of the American Revolution. And so I set off on a a journey to try and find more and more about Richard St. George. And what the exhibit brings together is a uh, all of the artwork connected to St. George, be it the artwork that he created himself, his, his sketches and cartoons that he did earlier on in his career, to paintings that he commissioned, such as his, his portraiture. The exhibit brings together 22 works of art, all connected to Richard St. George's uh, story, either uh, uh, pers- that he personally created or, or he commissioned, brought, bringing that artwork together in one room for the very first time in its, in its history. And that artwork is on loan to the Museum of the American Revolution from institutions and private collectors that span uh, three continents and four countries, uh, the United States, uh, Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Australia, because that, that portrait of Richard St. George in his 4th Regiment of Foot uniform, actually painted by Thomas Gainsborough, the famous British portrait artist, is on loan from the National Gallery of Victoria. And um, all of this artwork helps us tell this really compelling story and, uh, and, and shows that it's amazing what stories and stories of discovery still are out there regarding the American Revolution. Matthew Skick, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much, Brady, for, for having me. It's, it's been an honor to, to be a part of the podcast. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.